0: Well, I don't have one set passage from Revelation today. As we recap the first two-thirds or so of this book, it'll be helpful for you if you do have your Bible. I'll, uh, as we work our way through, we'll be um, really, if you want to begin, maybe in chapter two. And uh, we will I'll, I'll highlight a few key texts as we work our way through uh, today. But as we recap where we have come from so far in our study of this book, uh, our theme again today is the Lamb on the throne, the lamb on the throne. A couple of weeks ago, uh, Hannah and I were visiting some extended family and I noticed up in their kitchen wall uh, an aerial photo of their property. Uh, some of you maybe remember the days when maybe someone would come to your door and offer you an aerial photo of your property. Nowadays, we can do that very easily. We just send up a drone and we take a photo of it with our, with our phone perhaps, controlling it down in the ground. But some of you might remember the days when it was a bit of a novel day for someone to come round and offer you that photo. It's interesting when you see something you're so familiar with from a different perspective. Oftentimes when you do that, everything looks a little bit more orderly, a little bit more neat and tidy. Down on the ground level, we maybe see things that are out of place. Maybe if a visitor came to your property, they would walk around the side of your house and they wouldn't quite know what to expect or where they're going. Uh, they wouldn't know when exactly the garden is going to appear or what's going to be in it. But if you have that aerial photo, you can see it all. It's it's all there. It's all in its place. It all makes sense when you see it from a different perspective. And as we've seen each time that we have studied a chunk of the Book of Revelation, that's what this book does for us. It gives us a different perspective. As Christians, we are, we're down here on the earth, on the ground. We are enduring. That's one of the, the key words of Revelation. We are enduring spiritual warfare in a world that is darkened and hardened against God and the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. And our warfare is at times exhausting. Perhaps we sometimes wonder if it's really worth it. We wonder if things are ever going to change. But Revelation changes our perspective. Revelation shows us our world from the heavenly sovereign perspective of God. It shows us our world in light of the fact that Jesus Christ, the Lamb, has suffered but is now triumphant. He is on his throne. He has been resurrected. And he is waiting for the day when the Father sends him back to this earth as judge to make all things new, and so Revelation, as I've, as I've emphasised this to you all throughout, it is not a book designed to fuel conspiracy theories. It's not a book that only the super smart Christians are able to figure out. It's a book that is designed to change our perspective, to encourage us, and to motivate our endurance until we finally see the Lamb. And that's, of course, how Jesus is most frequently described in the book of Revelation. He's described as the lamb 30 times in the book of Revelation. He's described as the lamb. If you listen to Revelation 5 verse 6, for example, it says, Between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. notice there, friends, the lamb has been slain, and yet the lamb is standing. The lamb is victorious. The lamb has gone through something deadly, even slaughter, and yet is triumphant. And that's a picture, of course, for us of Jesus' death and resurrection. And the pattern of Jesus' life and death and resurrection, friends, is a pattern that will be our experience as well. Not that we will go through exactly the same things as Jesus did, and of course, not that our suffering will accomplish exactly the same things as Jesus did. But that is the pattern of our experience that we live in this earth, we suffer, we may even suffer persecution for our faith, we may even have to face physical death, but we will then be raised and we will be triumphant. And so the pattern of the life of the Lamb is the pattern of his people as well. And that's the perspective again that Revelation wants to keep, wants us to keep as we wait for Jesus' return. We suffer now, but we will be triumphant in the end, as the Lamb already is. The Lamb on His throne. And so just to try and jog your memory and remind you a little bit of some of the key things that we've seen already in Revelation. Uh, we're going to think about four of them today. And so first of all, we consider the Lamb speaking to his church, the Lamb speaking to his church. and this is what we see in chapters two and three of Revelation. After Jesus uh, first uh, gives begins this vision for John in chapter one, uh, he writes seven letters for seven churches. Now, if you've remembered one thing since we last studied Revelation, uh, it's probably that the number seven is a symbolic number for completion or for wholeness in the book of Revelation and indeed elsewhere in the scriptures. Uh, And so in writing seven letters to seven churches, Jesus is in fact speaking to all his churches, past, present and future. He's speaking to the church. What he said to those seven churches back then is still relevant for all of us today. And so some of the key things that Jesus said to those seven churches. First of all, Jesus emphasized to all of those churches that he knew them. He knew them. He knew every detail of their existence. He knew their particular strengths and their weaknesses and their temptations and their sufferings. Revelation 2 verse 1, if you have it there, uh, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write. And then in verse 2 he says, I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance. Likewise to Pergamum chapter 2 verse 13. Jesus says, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast my name. And so to each of these churches who were in what is now modern day Turkey, Jesus says, "I know you. I know exactly your circumstances. I know exactly what you're dealing with." Sometimes people maybe say to us, "I know, and we know that they don't know." They haven't gone through what we're going through. They're trying to help. They're, they're maybe genuinely showing concern for us, but, but they don't really know what we're facing. But when Jesus says, I know, he really does know. There's nothing we as the church face today that surprises Jesus, or which he can't fully get his head around to use an expression that we would use. He knows it all, he he sees it all, he cares about it all. Another thing that we learn from the seven letters to the churches is that Jesus rebukes our feelings. He rebukes our feelings. Most of the seven churches are given something by Jesus that they need to repent of. They need to put right to the church in Ephesus, for example. Jesus says in Revelation 2 verse 4, you have abandoned the love you had at first. Whether that was love for, for, for people, for one another. Love for the lost, maybe even love for God. And so Jesus says to them, Revelation 2 4, remember from where you have fallen, Repent and do the things you did at first. And the situation in the Ephesus church is perhaps the one that we as reformed congregations need to be most wary of. Jesus told them that they had been faithful to preach and teach the truth. And yet they lacked love. It's a warning to his friends that it's possible to be believing the right doctrine and and yet to have the wrong attitude in our hearts. Other churches were not lacking in love, but they had become too tolerant of sin. This was the issue, for example, in the churches of Pergamum and Thyatira. Jesus says to the church in Thyatira, Revelation 3 verse 20, I have this against you. Strong words. Jesus has something against his church. You tolerate that woman Jezebel. Uh, And that's a picture, of course, of Sexual immorality being tolerated and even celebrated by some people who profess to be part of the church. How relevant is that for us today, friends? Jesus clearly says to his churches, tolerance is not always love. Loving someone does not always mean acceptance or celebration of the the way that they're living their lives. And the church is foolish and the the church is actually in sin when the church... Endorses some of those things, some of those lifestyles or sexual behaviors, as if they are tolerable in the Church of Jesus Christ. To such churches, Jesus gives a simple command, Revelation 2 16, repent. Repent. To other churches, Jesus simply encouraged them to persevere. At the Philadelphia, Jesus says in Revelation 3, verse 8, Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. He says, I know, I know that you have but little power and yet you have kept my word and not denied my name. And so to these struggling but faithful little churches, Jesus says, I know and I have given you an opportunity. I have opened a door for you. No one can shut it except for me. Just persevere. Just keep going. Just Be faithful. The last thing that we see in the seven letters to the seven churches is the promise of reward. The promise of eternal life. Every church hears these words, to the one who conquers. Jesus says that to all seven churches. To the one who conquers. And he says uh, in chapter 2 verse 7. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And so for each of the seven churches, friends, Jesus has a very fitting and timely encouragement. He says, conquer, endure, persevere, and there is eternal reward waiting for you. So friends, whilst the seven letters to the seven churches are incredibly searching... They're also very encouraging. Jesus knows us and he can give us exactly what we need, the strength that we need to keep on going and to conquer. Jesus knows the spiritual terrain of Drumore far better than we know it. Jesus knows far better than any of us do what Drumore RP Church needs today. And Jesus, as I have said before when we've studied these things, I believe... Well, look at the the evidence around us. He has set before us an open door. We have freedom to meet together for worship and to encourage each other as we do so. We have freedom to proclaim the gospel to friends and family and neighbours who are in desperate need of it. We have freedom to meet together, to pray, to encourage each other, to bear one another's burdens. And if we hold fast and if we remain faithful in those tasks... Jesus will use our witness for whatever purposes he chooses. So the lamb speaking to his church. Second second thing that we see uh, as we take this broad brush recap of Revelation so far. As we see the lamb opens the seals and sounds the trumpets. You can score out sends the signs there on your bulletin. Uh, The second point, just the lamb opens the seals and sounds, the trumpets is enough for, for one point. Uh, and this is chapter 6 to 8. Chapter 6 to 8. As we study the book of Revelation, we have been treating it as a cycle of visions. And what I mean by that is that the same things are described to us several times over. Using slightly different pictures each time. And many of these cycles of visions, they come in groups again of Seven. The first cycle of seven in Revelation, we've already talked about the the letters to the seven churches. The second cycle of seven is the seven seals on a heavenly scroll. And so in Revelation chapter five, this scroll appears as part of the vision of the throne of heaven. And this scroll contains the will of God, the plans of God for the rest of history. And only the Lord Jesus, only the Lamb is worthy to take that scroll in Revelation chapter 5, to break its seven seals and to put into motion the plans of God for history, for our world. In Revelation chapter 6, the Lamb opens the first four of these seals. And from each of the first four seals comes a rider on a horse These four riders and four horses, friends, they symbolize the presence of evil in our world between the first and second comings of Jesus. The number four in Revelation quite often is a way of referring to the whole world. I know that it's not quite accurate to talk about the four corners of the globe. That doesn't make sense in terms of uh, shapes and maths, but nonetheless, that's the way we speak, four corners of the globe. And so the number four in Revelation often has to do with Something that covers the whole earth. And so the first of these four riders and the horses is white. And as I have mentioned to you, I think the best interpretation of that is that this this white horse is a symbol of Satan. Who is disguised, the Bible tells us elsewhere, as an angel of light. He deceives the world. That's how he's described elsewhere in scripture. He deceives the world with false gospels and false hopes. And then the red horse symbolizes bloodshed and war and conflict. The black horse symbolizes economic strife, uh, what we might call today uh, the everyday stresses of living in the modern world. It's what uh, is often called the cost of living crisis. That's that's part of what this black horse symbolizes. And then there's the pale horse that symbolizes illness and pain and suffering all of which lead to death itself. And all of these things are to be expected between the first and second comings of Jesus. And it's important to note in Revelation 6 that all these four horses, although they sound pretty dreadful, there is a limit on them. There's a limit on what they can do. Revelation chapter 6, verse 8. They were given authority over a fourth of the earth. So they're limited in the damage they can do. They are not in charge. The Lamb is in charge. He calls forth these horses and riders and he places limits on them. Evil is not all consuming in our world. It's not as rampant as it could be. It's under the control of the Lamb. The fifth seal produces something entirely different. It shows us the patient prayers of Of the Lamb's martyred saints. That's the fifth seal in Revelation chapter 6. The patient prayers of the Lamb's martyred saints. Believers whose souls have gone on to glory. Who are in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And while they are in Christ's presence. They are praying. They are waiting for the day when Christ returns. When they are fully vindicated. When the enemies of the gospel are finally judged. And in chapter 6, verse 11, we're told that these praying saints were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until all things are complete. Again, evil and sin will eventually be finished. The Lamb says to his saints in heaven, just rest a little longer. Just wait. The final judgment is coming. And then the sixth seal brings us right to the brink of Judgment Day itself. The wrath of the Lamb about to be poured out. And this is chapter 6 verse 15. If you you look at that verse just to get our bearings again. Revelation 6 verse 15. The kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? And so when we get to the sixth and seventh seals, friends, this is judgment day itself, Revelation chapter six and seven. And so if you take the seals all together, what what they're showing us, friends, is that they take us from where we are now and what we're experiencing now today to the very end of time itself, the final judgment. And the seven seals immediately take us into the vision of the seven trumpets, which just confirm and emphasize many of these same things to us again. And that's what we see In Revelation chapters 8 and 9, the vision of the seven trumpets. In the Old Testament, the trumpet was not primarily an instrument for musical entertainment. The trumpet was used to warn people of danger. You remember what happened at Jericho, for example, in Joshua chapter 6, after they marched around the city once each day for six days. Then on the seventh day, there's that number again, Before the Israelites marched around the city seven times, seven priests blew seven trumpets. The message of the trumpets was, time up. God's judgment is at hand. And likewise here, friends, the first four trumpets, just like the first four seals, symbolize the fact that a measure of God's judgment is already upon our world. A measure of it. Not the full measure of it. And again just like with the first four seals. Revelation chapter 8 emphasizes to us. That God is limiting the damage that is being done to our world today. Our world is suffering. Yes. But yet as as much as it could. Not as much as it could. Or as much as it deserves. Thirteen times in Revelation chapter 8. Uh, The word a third is used to, again, emphasize the the limit, that there is a limit on the judgment that is being poured out. Chapter 8, verse 7, a third of the trees were burnt up. Verse 9, a third of living creatures in the sea died. Verse 12, a third of the sun was struck. The damage being done by the trumpet blast is dreadful, but it is limited. And this is a sign, friends, of God's mercy and patience, which he is still showing to our world today. Things are bad. They're not as bad as they could be. They're not as bad as they will be when the final day of God's wrath arrives and Jesus Christ returns. And ultimately, that is the warning that Revelation gives to anyone who is not yet trusting in the Lamb. Will you be able to stand when the lamb comes in his wrath? Or will you be like some of the pathetic figures there in Revelation chapter 6 or Revelation chapter 9. Who would rather be crushed by mountains than have to face the wrath of God. Will you be ready? Will you welcome the Lord Jesus back to this earth? Will you, are, are you already praying come Lord Jesus? Or, or are you... Not yet ready to face him because you have not yet repented of your sin. One day friends you will see the fiery eyes of the lamb face to face. And there will be no more seals. And there will be no more trumpet blasts. And there will be no more opportunity to repent. And so now is the time to repent. And now is the time to recognise that the lamb is on his throne. And is deserving of our allegiance. So the Lamb speaking to his church, the Lamb opens the seals and sounds the trumpets. Then the third thing that we've seen as we've worked our way through Revelation is that the Lamb is sovereign over Satan and his allies. The Lamb is sovereign over Satan and his allies. The fifth and sixth trumpet blasts explain even more to us why there is so much suffering in our world. And it's because of the existence of Satan and demons. If you look at Revelation chapter 9 verse 1. Again it will help us just to to get our bearings. Revelation chapter 9 verse 1. The fifth angel blew his trumpet and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth. And he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. Uh, The star that falls from heaven there is of course Satan. The angel. Who chose to rebel against God and who was thrown out of heaven for that rebellion. And who takes a a, a portion of angels with him who we now call demons. Uh, And Revelation describes that fall of Satan from heaven several times. If you turn also to Revelation chapter 12 and verse 9. Revelation 12 verse 9. Here we're in another cycle and this is the cycle of the seven signs. And chapter 12, verse 9 says, The great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And So friends, part of the reason that our world suffers, part of the reason for suffering in our world is because of the presence of Satan. The presence of evil in our world. Satan is against God and against the Lamb and against the church. There is an unseen spiritual realm in our universe. And that realm is at war. There is warfare in that unseen spiritual realm between the Lamb and his angels. And the devil, the dragon, the serpent and his angels. And that brings us to Revelation chapters 10 to 13 where we see various Signs, various pictures of Satan at war with the church. We see him in these chapters harassing and attacking the church. But again, friends, the key thing is that it is not forever. There is a fixed time when it will end. In Revelation chapter 11, verse 3, Jesus says, I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. In the Old Testament, you needed two witnesses for something to be verified in court. And so the, the picture of two witnesses is a way of describing the church again between the first and second comings of Jesus. Remember Jesus' words to the apostles, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will be my witnesses until the end of the age. And so the two witnesses, that's a picture of the the preaching, the the prophetic witness of the church until the end of time. And as the church carries out that witness, the dragon attacks the church. That's how he's described in chapter 12. There's that imagery of the dragon pursuing the woman and trying to uh, consume her offspring. And that's a picture of Satan coming against the church. And in Revelation chapter 13, verse 18, we're told that the number of Satan's beast is 666. Chapter 13 gives us this imagery of two beasts, which signifies the, the political weapons that Satan uses against the church, the religious weapons, the economic weapons, the world against the saints. And the number of that beast, we're told in Revelation 13, 18, is 666. Seven is the number of the lamb. The number of perfection and completion. Six falls short of seven. Because Satan is doomed to fail. That's what the number 666 means. It means that Satan will fall short and fail. In his efforts to destroy Christ and the church. And so in chapters 9 to 13 or 14 there friends. We see all these efforts. We see the dragon fiercely, ferociously. Attacking the church, he might use politics, he might use economics, he might just use the culture that we find ourselves in. These are his beasts, but he fails. He falls short. And a lot of Christians today are getting more and more anxious about things like the changes to uh, our school curriculums, which we will talk about and deal with, God willing, on Wednesday night or we get concerned about increasingly ungodly laws being passed and we, we, we rightly mourn those laws and we, we plead with our politicians to see sense and to repent of those things. <coughs> we perhaps get concerned about just the general morality and, uh, and the general beliefs of, of the society around us that are more and more godless. Friends, it's all Satan. It's Satan and demons stirring up the sinful hearts of men and women. And he is going to fail. He is going to fail. Even when he succeeds in seducing violent men to to slaughter Christians. Or to imprison Christians in Africa or Asia. Even when he succeeds in getting Christians in Canada or the United Kingdom thrown in prison or sued or mocked. He cannot lay a finger on the sealed saints of the Lamb. He can't drag off a single sheep that belongs to the good shepherd. He can't drag off a single sheep to hell. His number is 666. And when the lamb returns, his number will be up. Nonetheless, friends, Revelation is teaching us to take Satan and suffering seriously. Paul says in Ephesians 6 verse 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Just because we don't see these cosmic powers doesn't mean we should doubt their existence. And we should see, we should realise that much of what is happening in the world today is the influence of Satan and demons. But again, we're not to fear, we're not to panic, because those who are with us, the one who is with us, is greater than those who are against us. Satan is doomed to fail. The dragon will be crushed by the Lamb. And that brings us to the last thing uh, to consider that we've seen so far in Revelation and will continue to see as we continue our studies. And that is the Lamb has sealed his saints amid their suffering. The Lamb has sealed his saints. Amid their suffering. We ask ourselves. What about the church? We read some of these pictures of Satan. And what he's doing in the world. It's ferocious. It's perhaps uh, alarming. What about the church in the midst of these things? Well chapter 7 answers that for us. Chapter 7 gives us this vision. Of the 144,000. Again. A multiple of of 7 and 12. A symbolic number. A number of wholeness and completeness. A huge number. And it's a picture of the whole church of Jesus Christ throughout all history. All God's people, from every nation, every language, every people group, all the people of the Lamb, for whom the Lamb was slain, who make up the true church. And in Revelation 7, we're told that before the seals were broken, before the plans of God for this world were even put in motion, friends. The church of God was sealed. We were sealed. That means we were chosen. We were were marked out by God so that no matter what evil or trial we would have to endure, we would be standing with the Lamb when it is all over. Just look at chapter 7, verse 3. This is an angel speaking in heaven. And he says, Revelation 7, verse 3, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees. Until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. Revelation 7 3, there, friends, is taking us back in time. Before the riders and the horses go out, before the trumpets even sound, before the bowls of wrath that we'll think about tonight are poured out, before any of that happened, God chose to seal his people. He chose his saints. This was before we were even in existence. This is an eternity past, before we had even done right or wrong. God chose us and sealed us so that we cannot be taken away from him. This is how Paul says it in Ephesians 1 verse 4. God the Father chose us in him, that's in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself, As sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Friends we were not chosen the moment that we first repented of sin. We were chosen in eternity past before the foundations of the world Paul says. How comforting is that? How reassuring is that? You never earned your salvation. You can never lose your salvation if you truly belong to the Lamb." God has put his mark of ownership upon us before the foundations of the world. And of course, this seal, this mark isn't physical, it's spiritual, as is the mark of the beast that that Revelation talks about. These are spiritual marks. Don't have to worry about barcodes or vaccinations or anything else. These are symbols, these are this is spiritual language. What is that mark that's upon us as believers? It's the Holy Spirit. He is that mark. He is the one who has sealed us for Christ. He he is, as Paul says as well in Ephesians, the down payment and guarantee of our salvation. And all who are sealed make up that number of 144,000. Revelation 14 verse 1. Then I looked and behold on Mount Zion stood the Lamb and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name Written on their foreheads. We belong to the Lamb. Now and always. And indeed we always have. Does it not comfort you to know dear Christian. That even though you sometimes stumble over the same sins again and again. Even though we are sometimes discouraged by the mess that this world is in. by, By the things that our world celebrates and tolerates. Instead of repenting of. Nonetheless, you are sealed. Your salvation is a certainty and it cannot be lost. God chose you before you were even capable of doing right or wrong. God chose you before sin even entered this world. Before he even said, let there be light. He had sealed you for eternity. And when the great day of the wrath of the Lamb comes, friends, it will be those who have been sealed and only those who have been sealed who will be able to stand and who will enjoy a world made new. Will you be able to stand? Or are you at this moment in time being deceived by the dragon? Have you not yet done what Revelation is urging you to do? in these various cycles of pictures and trumpets blasting and bowls being poured out, you have an opportunity today to repent. You have an opportunity to be ready for the return of the Lamb. And if you are a Christian today, the message from from this book is simple for you. Blessed is the one who endures. Blessed is the one who remains steadfast under trial to the one who conquers. I will give a crown of life and to eat of the tree of life. So hold fast what you have until you see the lamb. Well, I hope this quick recap uh, has brought back into your mind some of the wonderful reasons we have to be studying this book. But the main reason to study it, friends, is to fix our minds and hearts upon our great saviour, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the lamb who was slain but is now alive forevermore. So let's live with the perspective that Revelation gives us, friends. The perspective of eternity. The perspective of heaven. And of all the angels and saints who are there already. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. To receive power and wealth and wisdom and might. And honour and glory and blessing. Amen.